Hi, everyone. This is Tony Sharota. I'm the executive director for the Reverse Logistics Association. We are a member-driven global association for the reverse and returns industry. Uh, our members consist of companies such as retailers and manufacturers on the one side of the fence who have returns and lots of them to deal with on a daily basis. The other side of our membership on the other side of the fence would be the third-party solutions partners who help provide answers for our partners and our members. And one of those examples with me today is Nick Kasasi with DM Transportation. Say hello, Nick, and tell them about yourself. Hey, Tony, how are you today? Great. Cool. Well, uh, I've been with DM for 17 years. Uh, we've been focused originally on the inbound side, but as e-commerce has grown, uh, the challenges have grown for companies that are delivering goods to residences, and we've really come up with a lot of innovative solutions on how to remove those items and create the best customer experience for them. And Nick, that's a great way to start talking about the impact of reverse logistics to each of us. Now, in my case, I came out of 25 years at Phillips, where they took a guy like me who used to be in sales and marketing and said, go fix the returns problem. And I had no idea that it would start me down a 20-year path uh, leading to this reverse logistics association, where the difference that we can make, Nick, as you know, is huge. And, uh, and we've been doing it for years, both of us, Nick, and making a difference uh, in that reverse logistics flow and improving the customer experience. Uh, but the flip side of it, Nick, is what's been going on this year, of course, has brought reverse logistics to the forefront. And I'm talking, of course, about the pandemic we're in and the growth in e-commerce and consequently, not just the last mile delivery, but the first mile in reverse, Nick. So your company's done a lot of things in that area. You wanna talk to that for a couple of moments here? Sure thing, thanks, Tony. So we've definitely seen a significant increase in the outbound direct-to-customer e-commerce business. Uh, some of our clients have told us that they're above Christmas levels right now. And as it relates to that, obviously, the flip side of the coin is the returns have grown exponentially as well. And what we've really been trying to focus on with our clients is taking a look at those larger items that need to be returned, the value that they would get if they brought it all the way back to their location, and is there something that we can do more local? So if you had a $500 item and it was $250 to ship back, we provide options to our clients so they can do things like locally donate, locally recycle, or even locally liquidate, which reduces their cost to get it back to them, it reduces man hours at their facility and gives them a much higher return than they get on their own. Nick, that's a, that's a great place to go because you opened up um, a couple of doors that need to be considered. One is that, as we said, reverse logistics is getting a lot more attention these days at every manufacturer and retailer. And retailers, of course, we mean e-commerce too, because as you said, their numbers are staggering. The flip side of it is we also know from history and from experience that the returns in the e-commerce side are two to three times the numbers at brick and mortar retail stores, which means a lot more transportation and transit. So you, you did certainly hit on that, that these are expensive items now having to be dealt with. The second door there, Nick, and, and this is something I know you help companies with, the financial review. 
you just hit upon the fact that a $500 major appliance could cost another couple hundred dollars to re return it. So there have to be solutions in place. Um, otherwise, we're moving a lot of really effectively working products for things like dents, bumps, scratches, uh, things that maybe could be resolved. And maybe you could talk about some of the solutions you've worked out with some of your partners in that area, Nick. For sure. So, you know, again, what it relates to on the reverse side is to us keeping it as local as possible. Because the more we can keep it local, the better off it is. And for us, the technology is only one piece of it. It's great that there's software out there to track and trace, but it's the human element that we find in a lot of cases makes the difference. Where we interact with our locations, they will communicate with us and say, hey, this item is just scratched or dented. And that's when we can effectively communicate back to our clients. And we have uh, cadence with a lot of our clients. We're on a weekly basis. We'll give them a report of all the items that are out there um, and they share information back with us with the cost relative to those items for us to then try and make decisions with them to say, hey, this is what you have in our locations. This is what we think economically we should ship back to you guys. And this is what we think we should handle locally. And, and Nick, to that point, uh, this is where that impact of reverse logistics needs to be measured, quantified. And I'm aware of companies, and I'm not sure they would have the authority uh, provided at your level, but on a call center basis, if a major appliance or any kind of large product is being delivered in the home and there is a slight uh, dissatisfaction factor for that consumer, usually, the well, not usually, but the better companies, Nick, have a number in their in their system. And if the call center gets a call and they're saying, this customer is not happy with this delivery because of X, Y, Z, that call center agent should be empowered to say, okay, let's offer them a discount, $50, $100 within a certain range. And those numbers that they, desert, that they decide to offer through your delivery system right then and there on the spot, isn't a number that you would own as DM transportation, but you would work in conjunction with those major manufacturers, what those costs would be. Is that, you see more of that happening, Nick? Definitely see more of that happening. What a lot of our clients are challenging with us with is being able to proactively communicate with the right CSR at their organization while we're on site. And that allows us to, to again, not be, be the middleman, but make sure that communication happens so that our client can effectively communicate because they know what's at stake. If we have to take that item back, if we have to, you know, pack that item up and ship it back halfway across the country, it's going to be a lot more cost effective if they are able to give them that, you know, monetary incentive to keep the item. Absolutely. And Nick, uh, as you know, we've got an advisory board uh, at the Reverse Logistics Association of, of major member companies like retailers like Walmart, Home Depot, uh, Amazon. And those are members of the board, uh, as well as some on the other side, third party. But those members of the board share best practices. That's what the RLA is all about, sharing best practices. And certainly one of the ones that I know has been shared on, on our monthly webinars is Home Depot, for example calling the customer ahead of delivery 
and asking them to measure every doorway where things are going to go through, making sure that when your delivery arrives, Nick, that there could be unexpected circumstances, but in general, they've tried to alert that consumer because they know that a big part of this returns issue, Nick, is being generated by not meeting expectations, right? Not delivering on expectations. So in, in are you finding that happening more and more that ahead of the delivery, your consumers and your companies have been alerted and, and to some degree are ready for you? Uh, it's great that you use the word expectations because one of the things we say all the, the time internally at DM is how do we exceed expectations? Um, and that is, you know, not with every item, but with certain large items, maybe it's an oversized refrigerator, maybe it's a couch. Uh, our team will both contact via email and via phone if necessary to find out, hey, exactly how big is that door for us to get it in? Uh, we definitely have plenty of stories, as I'm sure you do, about items that were too large to get into a home. Um, and for us, for, for us to be able to effectively get that in there, or at least know ahead of time that that item can't get in there, at least we could then go back, contact our client and say, hey, listen, customer X bought this refrigerator. It's way too big to get into the house. How do we handle it from here? Um, and let them work with the customer to determine, you know, these are the options and these are what we can do. And it just saves a lot of headache for both their consumer themselves and, and for us as well. And Nick, that's saving a lot of money on both sides, of course. And, uh, and so that you hit on something else important, Nick, about that expectation level. It has gone up in the last, say, 10 years because Amazon, frankly, is driving a lot of that customer experience improvement, delivering and exceeding expectations because they know that that earns them customer loyalty and that can help reduce returns sometimes. Um, exceeding customer expectations is, is a major driver because, uh, Nick, you and I both know from experience, many of the products that come back are not a technical defect. There's not something wrong with them. There's something that the customer didn't like. And, uh, of course, in the apparel side, Nick, and in the shoe side, um, those deliveries are, are often being bracketed. And so the, the reverse logistics in those areas is very high because if you think you're going to wear a size 17 shirt, 34, and you're, and you're ordering it, you're looking and saying, you know what? Maybe I need 17 and a half and maybe, maybe a 16 and a half would work. And generally bracketing is like, well, I'll just be safe and order something a little bigger, a little smaller. And suddenly that's a two thirds return rate that's coming back. Not so much in your world, but of course, the impact of reverse logistics is in every area um, and in many different ways. And again, it's it's great that your company is working with the manufacturers and the retailers on these deliveries. Are there any other best practices that we should touch base on, Nick, that are in this area? You know, when it comes to returns, one of the things that a lot of our clients and, and we're really advocates for are speed, Right. Because if you receive a couch and you know you don't want it, what you don't want is that couch in your house for a week, for 10 days, two weeks, right? So for us, we 
really try and fine tune the process with each individual client to ensure that the second we're getting that return request, we're processing that return request, we're reaching out and touching that client, whether it's via email or text or phone call, usually there's a sequence that we follow over a three to five day period. And not only that, but we're giving our clients, customers, the ability to go online to our site and say, hey, you know what? I have this couch. I want it returned. Can you pick it up Thursday at 11 a.m.? Not only getting it picked up and out quickly with a team that is uh, very familiar with residential deliveries and expectations, especially when a customer is possibly disappointed about what they purchased, um, but also getting that credit back to the client as quickly as possible. So for us, what we try and do on every single instance is be able to notify our customer the day that we pick that up so then they can in turn issue that credit to their customer as quickly as possible. And, and Nick, you're hitting on another important area that we talk about in reverse logistics all the time, and that is communication with the customer, right? Yes. We know something is going to go wrong sometimes. That's inevitable. Um, just return never happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, returns aren't driven by um, things that are broken as much as things just went wrong about delivering to that customer's expectations. But if you communicate before, you're going to reduce, you're going to improve the delivery process, you're going to improve the experience and the expectations. But on the flip side, as you said, if it went wrong and you're doing something about it, you mentioned email, you mentioned text, you mentioned phone, you mentioned, you didn't mention, but I'll bet in some cases you're doing all of the above to really communicate, overly communicate with that customer that their experience is being um, addressed, that it's being handled as quick as possible, and the communication lines are there. And that's really how you continue to exceed someone's expectations. It's hard for them to be mad at you and call the manufacturer and the retailer and scream at them if you're already reaching out so quickly. So that is absolutely a best practice in the industry. But on the flip side, go ahead, Nick. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say um, some of our clients recognize that the return experience in many cases is just as important as the delivery experience because if the consumer can buy something and the return experience is very good, they are more likely to purchase from that customer, you know, that our client again, um, and it just leads to a much better overall you know, customer relationship, which I know a lot of companies are looking for. Absolutely, Nick. When you read about um, customer expectations, when you read feedback uh, on e-commerce websites, uh, that's one of the first things you'll see as a negative is the return was a pain in the butt, things like that. Um, I didn't get my money right away. Nobody came to get the product. You see those all the time, and you know that's, like you said, a driver. Um, so we've talked well about the head, of, the head of the delivery, the expectations being set well, uh, what you can do on that side to reduce returns, and then on the reverse side, what you can do to make sure it flows well. Um, maybe the final area we'll touch base on is disposition, Nick, um, because you hit on it just a little bit about your ability as a, as a true partner to provide options on the disposition side. And maybe you should mention those again, Nick. You, you talked about a few different ideas. Yeah, so what we try and do is, if the item is in new condition, 
in many cases, we can operate at our locations as a forward stocking location, which enables our client to say, hey, I have this refrigerator. It's a DM's location in, say, Orlando, Florida, which is convenient because I'm the um, and allow them to fulfill an order that's maybe local to where that item is. And it, again, it reduces the cost and the uh, emissions to ship it all the way back to their DC and then ship it all the way back out to a customer. Um, in cases where that doesn't happen, you know, what we're going to recommend is, hey, if this item's lightly scratched or dented, we'll be able to let them know. Um, and then they can choose, hey, maybe we'll sell this on our site as a scratch and dent. On the flip side, you know, if they don't have that ability and they still need to sell it, you know, we can liquidate it locally. We've got a great partner that we work with at all of our locations where we're able to look items up by a UPC code, look up the value and, and sell it. Uh, we did that today for um, a, a office retailer, and um, it, it went very, very well, way beyond what their expectations were. So to us, you know, there's there's a host of different options, and what we like to do is sort of what we call set up a trickle-down, which is, hey, let's start here. Let's try and get you maximum dollars by getting that item sold new pay a little bit less if we have to, you know, sell it as scratch and dent, a little bit less if we have to liquidate, and then if we have to donate or recycle, those are obviously options that we can handle as well. And you also mentioned donation as an option on dispositioning for something. So you're able to work with partners and, and give them a whole list. And, and I love that trickle down that you mentioned because you're correct. Um, there's all, there's a ladder in effect and you try not to go too far down the ladder, but you're working with them at every step of the way. And again, it becomes a financial decision because the decision is let it stay at DM. Let's find a new home for it because that's less expensive than paying to move it around the country. So um, great examples, Nick, of, of both the before setup, the after getting it out, and then what to do with it that we consider trademarks of what the Reverse Logistics Association offers our members are all of these great practices with great partners such as uh, DM Transportation. So I think those are really good examples, Nick. and. Um, uh, we're glad to have you as part of the RLA and focused on doing this for, I, I know you do this primarily for a lot of bulk, large items. Um, we've talked about things from mattresses to appliances. You also mentioned furniture. Is that, that's the niche area probably for DM? Yeah, definitely. If it's, um, if it exceeds the small parcel providers, you know, over max, over dim, uh, that's really what we're looking to, to handle. So we do everything, as you pointed out, from furniture to mattresses to appliances to TVs, kayaks. Um, if it's big and UPS or FedEx don't want it, we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good example. Very good example. Okay, so Nick, those are some great insights about the entire reverse logistics process, the end-to-end -end experiences, and uh, appreciate you sharing that with our audience. And uh, again, I'm Tony Shirota, the Executive Director of the Reverse Logistics Association. And uh, we've had our honored guest here today, Nick Asasi, with DM Transportation, sharing some insight and ideas for uh, reducing costs related to the reverse logistics process. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for participating here. Hey, Tony, thank you very much for having me partake in this. 
Uh, we are a very proud member of the RLA. We've been going for years, as you know, and it's a great organization that you guys have put together. The mission is fantastic, and, and we really support it. So, again, thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, great. Great, Nick. We're always glad to keep doing this. And uh, thank you to the audience for listening.